We love symbology in sports. Sure, the word you were looking for was symbolism. The passing of the torch. The old guard making room for the new. These moments that feel like significant shifts where an older star relinquishes their status to one that is on the rise. We love these moments in sports. Like that guy with the cool mask in Gladiator that Gladiator beat. You remember the scene anyway. While these types of moments make for a great narrative, and in other sports where people largely attempt to get a ball to a designated area, they can be pretty fun. But the reality of the situation in MMA is that the old are brutally fed to the young, usually with results that make us regret ever falling in love with this sport. So today we're going to be taking a look at 10 times the UFC made such bookings, in hopes an upcoming talent would siphon credibility from a well-known veteran, like some kind of crowd-pleasing vampire. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 older UFC stars sacrificed to rising ones. Number 10. Anderson Silva versus Israel Adesanya, UFC 234. Sometimes the storylines really do feel like a movie. The old warrior coming back one last time to face the newer version of themselves. It's as old as martial arts movies or classic westerns. One last ride. I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, Toby Keith. By the time 43-year-old Anderson Silva met Israel Adesanya, though, he hadn't had a true win since he TKO'd Stefan Bonner seven years earlier. I say true because I'm a bit shaky on that Derek Bronson decision, not to mention he took two years away from the octagon after that fight, so anyway you shake it, Anderson wasn't exactly active, and at best you could say he had one win in his last six fights. But the parallels between the Spider and Stylebender were some of the strongest the sport had ever seen, and everybody looked at it as a potentially cool passing of the torch opportunity, which it most certainly was. Izzy was 15-0 on his way to earning a title shot, and this fight would serve as a capstone, a perfect way to market this upcoming star to fans. And truth be told, the build was fun, the fight was pretty fun, the best part really being that it wasn't some horrifying beatdown, nor some life-shortening war. It was the right kind of uneventful, to be honest, with Adesanya winning all three rounds on two judges' cards. This was the most wholesome version of this type of fight on the list, which is why I put it at number 10. I wanted to ease you into the pain, but yeah, things are about to get ugly. Number 9. Frankie Edgar versus Corey Sandhagen, Fight Night 184. Former featherweight champion Frankie Edgar was coming up on 39 years old when he decided that he would move down a weight class, which is not usually how this thing works. When you get older, you're supposed to be bigger because things are harder, but of course Frankie Edgar is Frankie Edgar, and despite struggling a bit prior to the move, and by struggling I mean losing to Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, and Korean Zombie, not exactly the scrub squad, Edgar would earn a split decision victory in his debut at 135, defeating Pedro Munoz in a five-round fight of the night at UFC on ESPN 15 as the headliner, which meant it was the perfect time to book him against an up-and-comer to see if he still had it. The promotion tried this once before to disastrous results for Yair Rodriguez back in 2017, but things would be much different this time. Enter Sandman. While Corey had faltered against future champion Aljamain Sterling, the prospect was 6-1 in the UFC and looked to be heading towards the title picture. A win over a name like Frankie, especially considering he just entered the division and took out the number 5 guy, would be a huge feather in his cap, and man oh man did he ever get it. 29 seconds into the fight, he turned Edgar into Elsa standing with a flying knee. We'd seen Frankie lose before, but not quite like that. This is an instance where this booking went just about perfectly for the UFC, in that Edgar could still go but was beat so spectacularly, it made Sandhagen look like a million bucks. Number 8. Heath Herring vs. Brock Lesnar, UFC 87 The one thing that Brock Lesnar needed when he entered the UFC was credibility. It didn't matter that he was a national champion collegiate wrestler, because everybody knew that with a single pro bout in MMA, to debut in the UFC against a former champion in Frank Mir, he was both getting an opportunity nobody else would because of his fame, and also thrown directly to the wolves. Lesnar looked fast, scary, and a bit out of control in his debut, which would of course result in that knee bar loss. And so next, the UFC would need to find him about
out that was with a lesser opponent that could still help him build his credibility, and they found the perfect man in Heath Herring. The Texas Crazy Horse was a mainstay of the Japanese heavyweight scene, and had fights with guys like Vitor, Mark Kerr, he fought Big Nog for the Pride Heavyweight title, he'd been in the ring with Fedor and Krokop, he was a name, and more importantly, one that was coming up on the end of his career with 43 professional bouts that greatly struggled with wrestlers. In his UFC debut against Jake O'Brien, he was a huge favorite but was taken down six times and held on the mat for two of three rounds. This was against a wrestler who had a single year of collegiate experience and went 14-18 and 18 compared to national champion Lesnar. In other words, it was a pretty favorable matchup, and Brock would ride five takedowns in 11 and a half minutes of control time to an easy win on the scorecards. Number 7. Elvis Sinisek vs. Michael Bisbean, UFC 70 The UK fight scene has always been pretty robust in terms of its potential to be a cash cow for the UFC, as has been pretty evident in the last few years or so, and in 2007, the promotion saw dollar signs in a young Michael Bisping, who could end up being one of the first real UFC stars from the region. The Count, of course, won the third season of Tough and scored a first-round TKO finish to follow it up at UFC 66. With the promotion heading to his hometown of Manchester at UFC 70, it was pretty much a no-brainer to prominently feature the rising star on the card. He even managed to make it onto the poster, despite only being in the feature bout and hilariously without his opponent. They just wanted people to know that him and Andre Arlovsky were going to be there, and that's very likely because the UFC chose Elvis Sinisek to be his opponent. The promotion re-signed Sinisek for the bout despite the fact that he was 8-9-2, with his only win in the promotion ever coming six years previous. But he'd just won a fight in Cage Rage a few months prior, so maybe that was part of the logic he was already competing on the UK scene. Whatever the case, what you'd think would have been a gimme turned out to be fight of the night, but Bisping would prevail, scoring a second-round TKO. Number 6. Dominic Cruz vs. Marlon Vera, UFC on ESPN 41 Despite only being 29 years old, Marlon Vera came into his fight with Dominic Cruz with 19 UFC bouts under his belt. The former bantamweight champion, now 37, had only ever had 9, and even if you count his WEC run too, Vera still had more. The fighter-turned-commentator returned to the octagon during the pandemic to challenge Henry Cejudo for the title after an over three-year layoff due to a series of injuries, something that's plagued the Dominator's career. It would be nearly a year after that loss that we would see Cruz in the cage again, this time on the prelims against Casey Kenny, where he would earn a split decision and then make a spectacular comeback against number 8 Pedro Munoz to earn fight of the night at UFC 269, placing him in a main event against Cheeto Vera, who was really coming into his own finally. On a three-fight tear that saw him win a fight of the night against Davey Grant, front kick KO Frankie Edgar, and absolutely batter Rob Font for five rounds. While Cruz would put forth a commendable effort all the way into the fourth, he would be brutally head kick KO'd by Vera, seriously the stuff of nightmares. Given the slightly wishy-washy nature of Dominic's loss to Cejudo, this was the first time we'd ever seen him put down like that, instantly giving Cheeto more credibility and a career highlight reel moment. Number 5. Dennis Seaver vs. Conor McGregor, Fight Night 59 Following his TKO victory over Dustin Poirier at UFC 178, there were a few things that were abundantly clear about Conor McGregor, who was at the time just four fights into his career with the promotion. He was going to be a big star, and the UFC was all in on shooting this guy to the top as soon as possible. The victory did see McGregor crack the top five at featherweight, and so it was certainly within the realm of possibility that given one more victory, the Irishman could see a title challenge. An impressive win over any of the top four, Cub Swanson, Ricardo Lamas, Frankie Edgar, Chad Mendez, would make a pretty compelling argument. Which is why the UFC booked Connor next against 36-year-old 32-fight veteran Dennis Seaver, who was at the time ranked number eight, despite the fact he'd only had a single victory in the last two years. Oh, and it was announced before the fight happened that if McGregor won, he was getting a title shot. The icing on the cake was that the fight would take place in Boston, 
which is the closest place to Ireland in the United States. I don't mean geographically, although it's probably pretty close in that regard too. Anyway, the Notorious did what everyone assumed he would do, and breezed his way through a round and a half before TKOing Mr. Seaver to earn his shot at arguably the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world at the time. Number 4. Marvin Eastman vs. Rampage Jackson UFC 67 While a big star on the Japanese MMA scene and for anybody in the States that followed Pride FC, Rampage Jackson wasn't exactly a name familiar with the type of fan who just started watching after the tough boom created a few years prior to his making a UFC debut. I remember talking to fans at the time who had no idea that he'd beaten Chuck Liddell in Pride, or that Liddell even fought outside the UFC during that time period. And so it made sense that the promotion would need to give Jackson a proper introduction to these newer fans, showcase what it was that Rampage was all about. You can tell that putting the shine on the debuting fighter was the plan, as he was featured prominently on the poster by himself, despite the fact that Crow Cop was also debuting on that card and was in the co-main event. Seriously, he looks like the final boss of that pay-per-view on that poster. The UFC chose Marvin Eastman as Jackson's opponent, which is interesting because they picked up Rampage after his single appearance in WFA, and Eastman was one of the first fights on that same card, so I think it was kind of like when you're waiting in line at the grocery store and decide that you're gonna get some gum even though you didn't plan on it. Anyway, the fight was actually a rematch, with Marvin in fact having won their first encounter, but that was seven years prior at the beginning of Quentin's career. Eastman's last UFC appearance had come three years before his second bout with Page, where he was KO'd by Travis Luter. Jackson would score a second round knockout, earning him a title shot against Chuck Liddell a few months later. Number 3. Chris Weidman vs. Dominic Reyes, UFC on ESPN6 I really like Chris Weidman. He seems like a good guy, he gave us one of the greatest moments in the entire sports history when he KO'd Anderson Silva to capture the middleweight title, but following that ill-fated spinning shit and his dropping the strap to Luke Rockhold, things started to take a bit of a turn. First, Yoel Romero nearly decapitated him in his home state, then he had that weird TKO loss to Gegard Masasi in his home state. Following a rebound against Kelvin Gastelum, Weidman would be out for over a year and then get KO'd by Jacare in his home state. UFC, stop booking this man in New York, please. With few options left at middleweight besides potentially calling it a career, the former champ was looking to reinvent himself and nearly a year later would return to make his light heavyweight debut. The UFC decided the best opponent in this new division 20 pounds heavier for the struggling Weidman would be undefeated Dominic Reyes, who was on the cusp of a title challenge after five straight UFC victories. Yeah, that is a matchup that totally makes sense in every way and is good for Chris. It's definitely not just to give Reyes a name victory over a former champion on an ESPN headlining card. This one went all of a minute and 43 before the Devastator got the KO. Don't worry though, things would get better for Chris. He'd move back down to middleweight and a year and a half later horrifically break his leg, an injury he's still recovering from. Man, life is depressing. Number 2. Johnny Hendricks vs. Paulo Costa, UFC 217 If this bout wasn't an oh, you want to stick around and get a fight? Well, we'll give you a fight. I don't know what is. By late 2017, Johnny Hendricks was in a bad, bad way. Only three years previous, he dropped the welterweight title to Robbie Lawler, and given the close nature of their two bouts, I think a lot of people assumed that Big Rig would be in the mix going forward. But following a win against Matt Brown, Hendricks would be forced out of his title eliminator with Tyron Woodley after being hospitalized during his weight cut, and things just got worse from there. Three straight losses, two weight misses, he moved up to middleweight only to miss by three pounds in his second fight, a TKO loss to Tim Bosch. With a single victory in his last five and all the issues on the scale, it looked like things were rapidly devolving towards retirement. Luckily, the promotion recognized this, and for the final fight on his contract, booked Johnny against 26-year-old undefeated Brazilian Hulk Paulo Costa, who had a finish in every single one of his 10 career victories. Have you no shame, UFC? I have to admit it was some perfectly morbid matchmaking, and is perhaps the most blatant on this list. Hendricks would be outstruck 2-1 to one on his way to getting TKO'd in the second round, two more victories, and 
a few gallons of secret juice later, Costa was looking at a title shot. Number 1. BJ Penn vs. Yaya Rodriguez Fight Night 103 I honestly don't have a single clue what the UFC was thinking on this one, because it would seem that Dana and company are fans of BJ Penn, and wanted him to exist as a person. And yet, after getting battered by Nick Diaz, then battered by Rory McDonald, then leaving the sport for a year and a half only to come back looking like a ghost and get battered by Frankie Edgar, the promotion decided that after a further two-plus years off, they should give 38-year-old BJ Penn, who hadn't had a victory in over six years, a fight with upcoming 24-year-old murder machine Yaya Rodriguez, who was unbeaten in the UFC at 5-0 with three performance bonuses. The results were probably even worse than you imagined in your mind if you hadn't already seen this fight, because the obvious outcome was going to be that BJ Penn got battered again. But it was so much worse because for some reason, after getting head-kicked like 17 times in the first round, nobody in the entire arena thought that we should just call it a night and not have the prodigy come out for the second round. But of course, that's not what happened, and BJ was dropped literally seconds into the next round and mercilessly beaten on the ground for what felt like three years until Big John stepped in and ended the madness. Thankfully, after this, the UFC finally told BJ that maybe it was time to consider retirement. Just kidding, they gave him three more fights, and a fourth one was booked until he got knocked out by some guy outside a bar. You know who would never do that to BJ Penn, though? Ben Rosette. He's too busy making sweet jams for our videos, so be sure to follow him on his socials. And while you're out there making people's days, why not give us a like and subscribe? I know it would make my day infinitely better. Do you think these younger guys really get a boost from beating up on past their prime fighters? Please discuss in the comments below. I always love reading it. And thanks for watching another one. I'll catch you all on the flip side.